So we celebrate the feast of the elevation of the Holy Cross. And there's times in our lives that we can really grasp the importance of the Holy Cross. And it's usually after we bumped into something difficult, either a difficult person or we had a fight with our spouse or we didn't get the job we'd hoped for, some disappointment in our life and all the energy just flows right out of us. And we have to decide, what are we going to do with this? This. What do I do with this? It's so ugly. It's so ugh, mean. What am I going to do? Am I going to go out and get drunk? Am I going to kick the dog? Am I going to become cynical and develop a bad attitude? What am I going to do? Well, take all those disappointments from the beginning of eternity, multiply them together, and put them on Christ and say, what are you going to do? These are my wounds. These are my hurts. I want you to have them. What are you going to do? And what does he do? He accepts them. And he extinguishes them in himself on the cross. And then he asks us to take up our cross and follow him because it leads to life. Now yesterday, Presbyter and I went to Macon, Georgia to listen to Father Michael Kaiser. He's the one who wrote the book that we're doing our study in during this period of Lent. He didn't talk about outreach and evangelism per se, but he did talk about the spiritual life and how are we going to grow in the spiritual life. Now he's not talking from an ivory tower, place where he's been comfortable and well-fed and well taken care of all his life. He's got street cred. 25 years ago his wife was going in for an operation on her back and the operation went south and she hasn't walked since. She was paralyzed from the waist down. That changed his life overnight. He was angry for five years. He railed against God. He was very, very hurt. But God knew what he needed in order to have a successful ministry. God knew what was coming down the pike for him. Last year, his son committed suicide. One of his adopted daughters was raised in drugs and sexual abuse and rape and, and that was when he found her 10 years old and for years she continued suffering and running and being involved in drugs and prostitution. But every time she called and said, Dad, can I come home? He says, of course, come on home. So he doesn't speak to us from a, a place of comfort and ease but a place of crucifixion, a place where he knows the consequences of the fall 
and the results of Adam's disobedience. Now, I don't know that he said anything in particularly that was revolutionary or new, but he said it in a very refreshing way. It was real. It was tangible. It made sense. It was attractive. It wasn't wrong. It was right. So what did he say that was so revolutionary? Well, he got back to the basics. He said, why are we doing what we're doing? Of course, it starts with Christ. The foundation of the Orthodox Christian life is a personal relationship with Christ. 50% of our Orthodox congregations have never been evangelized. They got the externals. They know how to do church. But do they have a relationship with Christ? You can bring a rock in and wash it and baptize it and anoint it with oil and dress it up in white clothes. But if it isn't transformed, it's still a rock without a fundamental change and encounter with the living God. We're just going through the motions. So what's that relationship look like? Well, we have to fall in love with God. And to fall in love with God, we have to know God. And to know Him, we have to spend time with Him. Not just talking, not just praying, but listening. Ask anyone who's been married, what's it take to be real in a marriage? You have to be vulnerable with each other. In order to have real communion, you have to lay down your life for each other. You have to talk. You have to share. You have to open up your heart. So too with God. He wants to know us. He wants to know our thoughts. And He wants us to know His thoughts. That was the first half of the day. Good start. We had lunch, we broke, we talked. We had a good crowd. They had about 40 people yesterday. He came back and he said, now we have to talk about repentance. And he explained it in such a way that made all of us want to go to confession after he was done. And a lot of us did. You know, we can get spiritually flabby and dull if we don't exercise. And right now, we are in a heightened state of spiritual exercise called Great Lent. That is, if we do it. If we fast, if we pray, if we go to confession. Well, why do it? It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's just a bunch of rules. Garrison Keeler said, I don't go to Lent because it makes me feel guilty. I wait Till all that's over. I know what I do wrong. I don't want to hear it. I go after the resurrection. But it's in this time of Lent that we begin to see ourselves as we are. Now, you know, we're all going to die. The body is going to separate from the soul. And then the soul is going to go to Hades or it's going to go to paradise. We get that. Until Christ came, everybody was in Hades, waiting, waiting, waiting. And one day, 
Adam sees walking toward him both his descendant and his creator, the new Adam. Christ came to lift Adam out of death, out of the prison that he was held in. And how did he do it? By the cross that we celebrate today. Because Adam did not obey God. But Christ did obey God. Christ didn't sin. Christ perfectly obeyed God. So, death had no hold on him. Christ shatters the gates of hell and raises Adam and Eve to a new life, to a new paradise. Then he said something interesting I hadn't thought of before. The new Jerusalem that God comes to establish, a new heaven and a new earth, there's no gates. You don't need gates in paradise. No one is shut out. But we can shut ourselves out. See, we think of eternity as a long, long time. But actually, eternity is the ceasing of time. Time no longer exists. There is no future. There is no past in eternity. There is only the now. It's hard to conceive of. But God has called us to live in His kingdom with Him. Now this isn't so easy, weighed down as we are by passions, sins, temptations, by those struggles that kind of kill our soul. How do we get rid of them? In the Bible it says, All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. If we say we have not sinned, then we make God out to be a liar. He liked to use a lot of Greek words yesterday, so he used the word noose. He says our noose, our heart, our mind, that part of our inner being, it becomes dark and it becomes hard like that stone. There's no transformation. If we don't keep it soft and pliable, we're not able to hear God. We resist what He wants for us. We fight against it. I know what that's like. I do it all the time. And I'm conscious that I'm doing it. I'm resisting God right now. Why? What am I afraid of? Wrapped up in our passions, our temptations, gossip, gluttony, lust, drink. When these control us, our mind and our heart are darkened. We're not like God. And what's God like? He asked us that question and immediately I had an answer. I didn't say anything, but I had an answer. He said, what's God like? God is free. God is free. He has no passions. Nothing can tempt God. He's perfect love. That's what He's called us to. Freedom, freedom from passions, from anxieties, from anger, from sins, so that we can respond like God in every situation with love, joy, and peace. But we do 
Are we free? That is where the work comes in. And that is why we have confession. Not to tell God what we have done wrong. He already knows that. We go to confession to take responsibility for what we've done. To say, yes, I did this. Yes, I'm sorry. And yes, I will try not to do it again. And if we do that, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to put us back on the road. We walk away from confession light, having left the burdens behind. So why do we have to go to a priest? Well, the Jews were very distressed when the temple was destroyed because the temple was where they offered sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. No temple, no forgiveness. But Christ empowered the apostles at the resurrection, saying, those who sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Those who you retain, they are retained. It is that Christ forgives. The priest doesn't forgive. Christ forgives through the priest. So when we go to confession, we go there to do the hard work. It's like weed in your garden, you said. We've got to get out the weeds. And some come out pretty easily, but some have deep roots. And those take work. Those take time. Satan would like to keep us prisoners to those, to shame us, to guilt us, to help get us to deny those things. But Christ wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be free. He wants us to know the truth, and knowing the truth, we will be free. Otherwise, our hearts will remain like stones, and we will become harder and harder, not more and more tender. So he said all these things, and these are all things that we've heard before, but he said in a way that really drew me to want to live that way. It also made me realize what he's done here in this book, Spread the Word, is powerful. That if we truly understand what God has done for us, and we are living a transformed life, then it will be clear to the world around us. The measure of our success will be others who hear and see in action the good news and say, that is true. That is right. I understand this is the right way to live. And they will join our ranks. But if the message is contradicted or hidden or distorted by our actions and our attitudes, then they will pass by and keep looking. If we are living redeemed and transfigured lives in forgiveness, love for God, and love for each other, then we're doing the best we can. And God will add the growth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.